Are you ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. Then listen, we have been in the middle of a sermon series entitled, I love my church. I love my church. We've talked about serving. I pray that you're getting involved in a, in a place of ministry, that you're taking that next step and saying, I don't want to just, I just don't want to come and, and observe and, and just listen what listening, observing, learning, growing, all of that's important. But it won't truly connect for you until you start putting yourself out there and saying, Lord, I want to do one thing for you. I don't care what it is. I want to do one thing in excellence for you. If it shakes someone's hand, that means I'm going to shake their hand with enthusiasm. I'm going to look them in the eye. I'm going to greet them like the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I'm going to convey a blessing to them because that might be what they need to come in and, and to switch something in their heart for that, for that moment. Uh, you know, people come to church because they're searching. Some folks come in because they're hurting. And that, and that handshake might be what they need to, to just transform them right there in that moment to say, you know what, I'm ready to receive. I, I like the way that person made me feel. Okay, I, I want you to get involved. There's a couple of other things. If you've never been to an encounter night, I want to invite you personally to come and experience the power of the living God through our encounter services on Wednesday night. We've been talking about prayer, worship, and God's word. Those are the three things that we do here at Foundation. We pray, we teach God's word, and we worship God. And there's power when God's church begins to do that. If you've never been to an encounter night, it's a night of prayer and worship, and then I'll share a brief little tidbit of God's word but we mainly worship and pray, and, and we spend from 7 o'clock to 8.30. So I want to I invite you out. There is power. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. That literally means that God begins to hover down, and his presence begins to move. And for some of us, we need breakthrough. Can I tell you, you, need, you may need breakthrough in your finances. If there's anyone that needs breakthrough in their finances, don't raise your hand, but in your heart, just say, that's me, Lord. How many of you know you need God's touch on those finances? You might need breakthrough in your marriage. You need God's touch. You might need breakthrough with your children. You might need breakthrough in your job. You might be breakthrough in your attitude or your emotional state. You need God. Come and experience the power of the living God. I know some are saying, Pastor, an hour and a half? You are a Christian. Like Christians do pray more than just thank you, Lord, for this, for this food, right? Lord, I lay me down to sleep. I pray, my Lord, my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray, oh Lord, my soul to take. I hope we can do more than that. That's a good start when you're like five, you know. But, but what I'm trying to tell you is, you know, we have to be a praying church. We have to be the kind of church that I don't want us to be that couple that's been together for years. They go out to eat and none of them says a word. Neither one says a word. That's not me. I, I want to talk to my wife. I want to be passionate about her. She better darn well be passionate about me. Why do you think I'm trying to lose this, man? I want her to be passionate about me. You know, I, I'm coming for you, buddy. Don't laugh. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I've already lost five, eight pounds. It's coming. And, uh, you can see that already. Look at that. I got to breathe now. <laughs> but listen, we're talking about God. Just the way we want our spouses to be passionate about us, we want to be passionate about God, or at least we should be. We shouldn't be like, oh Lord, I've been a Christian for 20 years, but I never pray and I never worship. Uh-oh. Come on, I want you, to, I want you to, to, to be a part of this. This Wednesday, 7 o'clock, come early, eat together. We have a fabulous meal time. It's a beautiful time. How many of you enjoyed our worship team? Yeah. Wasn't that amazing? We had a few new people. Now, Michaela and Spencer, they've been up here before, but did you like Emery? Wasn't that amazing? Emery was on the keyboard, and that was just so, so, so good to see. I have one more announcement, and that is several folks at the, come as we get close to the end of the year are asking, Pastor, is there any end-of-the-year needs? Because our family wants to give an a end-of-the-year gift. 
an offering of some sort. Uh, please don't feel obligated to do, but if that's you and you want to, uh, we do have a need actually. The need is we want to replace our speakers and update our sound system. It's, it's literally pushing about 12 years old. And uh, most people say that a sound system is about, has a 10 year life cycle. So uh, we could update it and uh, we could use your help. If you feel so inclined to give, just give, put sound system on it. All right, guys, you ready for God's word? Here we go. Today, I want to talk to you about the unstoppable force that is the church unstoppable force. Now, I know for some, you might be saying, Pastor, the church is not an unstoppable force. I see it get losing ground at every angle. At every turn, the church is having uh, all sorts of challenges and dilemmas and problems. But can I tell you, God's true church is an unstoppable force. I'm not talking about the fake church. You say, well, there's a fake church. Can I tell you, the enemy always counterfeits what God is doing always counterfeits what God is doing. He's not creative. God is the creative God. He's not creative. He looks at what the creative God does and says, how can I undo it? How can I mask it? How can I counterfeit it? How can I cheapen it? But God's true church stands secure because that's the promise of the Lord. You say, pastor, how do you know there's a counterfeit? You know there's a counterfeit when you study the real. See, when FBI agents are trained to, to catch counterfeits, see, a counterfeit or, or the idea of counterfeiting will destroy a nation's economy. Absolutely, it destroys a nation's economy. And that's why our, our FBI uh, agency is, is tasked with making sure that our currency is not counterfeited. And the way they're trained is they're trained by using the real. The real thing, the genuine article, the real McCoy, they'll look at it and they'll study it and they become so intimately familiar with every detail. I'm not talking about the way we're familiar. We're familiar and we know what a $100 bill looks like. They know every little facet of that $100 bill down to the smallest detail so that if a counterfeit shows up, they can spot it immediately. How many of you know when we get intimately familiar with Jesus Christ, we'll be able to tell the counterfeit? Someone said, well, pastor, it's not right to judge. I said, I'm not judging. I'm just fruit inspecting. <laughs> I'm just checking out the real thing. Is it, is it real currency here? Is it real currency? Because the church of Jesus Christ, as we get closer to the end, will be counterfeited more and more and more. And we know that we're getting closer to the end. Come on. How many of us know we're closer today? Let me ask you a very, very, very important question. Do you believe we're closer today than we were 2000 years ago? Yeah, of course. We're exactly 2,000 years closer. <laughs> but, but this is the thing. Are you familiar with the prophecies that show we're closer today? See, the Bible says that the people of Israel will be back in their land. That Israel would be reestablished. Jerusalem would once again be their capital. And you see this in the last hundred years, how all of these things have begun to be fulfilled. We also heard from the prophets that once the people were back in the land, that Israel would begin to blossom again, would begin to flourish again. The land would begin to produce fruit. Do you realize that before Israel became a nation, that was a wasteland? Now you go to the Israel, it is the breadbasket of the Middle East. I'm not kidding you. Who, who has been to Israel? Here, raise your hand. You will see I mean, just rows and orchards of anything you have. As a matter of fact, my guide, I was, I was bragging on America. Come on, how many of you know Americans love to brag and Texans are even worse? And so, so I'm bragging on America and he says to me, he says, anything you grow, we grow here too. I said, how about avocados? He goes, there's the orchards, avocados. How about bananas? There's bananas. How about oranges? I mean, anything, they grow it. Why? Because the prophecy has been fulfilled. Oh, I can show you over and over and over. Hebrew is now spoken in the land the way the prophet said it would be. The resurgence of the ancient language of Hebrew. Do you realize that Hebrew had been lost? Even Jesus and the New Testament is written in Greek because uh, the Greeks ruled the world during that time. And so you have all of these prophecies. One more prophecy I want to highlight for you. The Bible says that in the, in the end, there will be a great falling away. That many will be deceived and the church of Jesus Christ will be, will be uh, the, the, the true will be separated from the false. 
And so you have that already. If you have eyes to see, you will begin to see the true believers that confess Jesus Christ as Lord and them, some that say, well, Jesus was just a good man. He's a good idea. And he shows us how to reach a higher level of enlightenment. And you don't need a savior. All you need to do is believe more in yourself. Come on. What if you're the problem? Anyone, anyone can openly say, oh, no, no, I know I've done that, tried that. I was the problem. Doesn't matter how much I believed in myself. That's called pride. And my pride is what got me in trouble. And so we, we have to realize that we're talking about something very, very important. And today we're going to cover the, the passage and the confession of Peter in chapter 16 of Matthew. We're going to do an exegetical examination of Peter's confession of faith. You say, wow, that's hard for even you to say, Pastor. Well, it's a, tron- it's a tongue twister. Exegesis has a very simple meaning. It's a, it's a big fancy word that means this. It's, if you take it, it comes from the Greek, ex, which means out of. Exegesis means to interpret or to interpret out of, to draw out of a meaning. But how are we going to interpret? Who helps us in interpreting? The power of the Holy Spirit does. And so if you would just take a moment, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Father, in the name of Jesus, by your Spirit, I pray that you would guide our service, that you would guide my message, Lord, that you would guide our hearts to receive out of your word the depth of your love in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're talking about drawing out of God's word something very, very important. This is probably one of the most important passages in all the New Testament, and it's found in Matthew chapter 16, verses, I'm going to start on verse 15, but I'll give you some background to it. And on ver- in verse 15, the Bible reads as follows, and he said to them, who is he? Jesus. So we're picking up the conversation midstream, and Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? So he turns the conversation, and he, and he directs it directly at the disciples. Now, before, they had been talking in more general terms. And you have to realize that Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher, and he was, he was responsible for teaching them the fullness of the law, the fullness of the teachings of the Torah. And so he's he would use the Socratic method, which meant he used questions. Instead of making statements and lecturing, he would use questions. And with questions, he would teach his, his, uh, his, his uh, disciples. Now, how many parents have had to become very, very good with questions? See, you get, you get to an age where um, lecturing doesn't work anymore. A lecture is just you dumping information and they get this glazed look like, when is this going to be over? And you have no idea if it's made any effect and you start realizing, I better get wise and start asking questions to really figure out what's going on in this thing. Now, it's interesting because if you have girls, girls are a lot easier. And I'll tell you why they're easier, because they love to talk. (laughs) And they will spill their guts if you give them a chance. Now, guys... If you have a little guy like my guy, honey, and he's the only one in the house and he's quiet to begin with, you have to be very skilled with questions. With Evie and Raquel, I go, hey, what's going on, baby? How you doing? Oh, you look this, you look that. No, no, I'm okay. Oh, you sure you're okay? It doesn't look that like you're okay. Well, dad, if you really have to know, start telling me everything. I'm like, whoa, can you tell your mom? (laughs) I'm just kidding. Those are my babies. I talk to them. I talked to him, but, but, but for, the, for the sake of this teaching, because Jesus was dealing with guys here, I think he had to learn how to, how, to, how to ask questions. At least my little guy, I have to really be skillful because if you don't ask the question just precise, he won't give you what you want to know. And I've had to learn not to ask closed-ended questions, but open-ended questions. A closed-ended question is a, can be answered with a yes or no, or if you're dealing with a teenager, a grunt. Mm. <laughs> You know, and so, so I've had to learn how to ask these open-ended questions. I'm almost an attorney when it comes to, I go, have you or have you ever at any time felt like or perhaps thought of basically anything having to do with this subject matter? Spill your guts, boy. 
You know what I mean? And I, and I had to learn it. Look, if I asked the question and you answered it technically correct, then technically you'll be okay, but your butt's still going to be hurt. Because I'm going to spank you. I'm going to take care of you. You, go, you can't spank a 16-year-old kid. Yeah, you just watch. My point is, <laughs> that, that's not called a spanking. That's called a, never mind. I, I can't, this, this generation is so sensitive. You can't say certain things. My dad used to, I mean, it was like, it, boy, you bet how many times did I have? It was like a, a spanking per syllable, not even per word. But that was another, that was another time. I love Jacob's like, he's like, that's not amusing, Pastor. <laughs> that's, that's called abuse. But I turned out okay. That's debatable. <laughs> but, uh, no, okay, let's keep going. So I think Jesus is having to learn, not having to learn, he's using what we have to learn in, in asking questions. And so he asks the question, who do the people say that I am? And it's always interesting even with your kids, when you ask your kids about other people, like, like not even their friends, just people, oh, they're good about telling you what people think. But then you get to their friends and they get a little more quiet. Then you get to them and they're like, oh, man. And so here he's talking about just people. Who do the people say, I'm, well, you're a prophet, you're a great teacher, you're this, you're that, you're reincarnated, you know, John the Baptist or Elijah, or all these things. And and then he says, but who do you say that I am? And you can almost hear the holy hush come across the disciples. And they're all like, this just got real. He's, who do, I, teacher just asked a question. Come on. How many of you guys remember being in class and there's always that one person? You know what I'm talking about. It's always that older person that's coming back to school. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you know I'm telling the truth. You know I'm telling the truth because the kids that are there are just like, come on, just, just let it go. And, and, well, I have to know. I was reading ahead and I thought, like, who reads ahead? Who cares? I just want this to be over. It's an eight o'clock class. I don't do anything before eight o'clock. Let's go. You know, and, and so, you know, and, and you have this, 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 feeling, I can almost imagine, like, who's going to be the first to speak up? And everybody knows it's going to be big mouth Peter. And Peter goes, well, Lord, uh, and everybody goes, like, this is going to be good. And then he says this, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, drop the mic. But what I think is interesting is that he doesn't even celebrate it like, hey, hey. You know, he doesn't do anything. He just says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Everybody's going, what? Where did that come from? Come on. When that one person in class that always asks dumb questions and always has something dumb to say, and they say the right thing, you're like, what just happened? I know he stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. <laughs> it's like, I, I, the reason I'm highlighting this for you is because of what Jesus says. Even Jesus is answering for the disciples. This was not revealed to him by anybody else but God. <laughs> this is a God moment, and we all know it. But, but watch, the, watch the teaching. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Now, I want to make some highlights here. He uses his old name. At this point, Jesus has already changed his name, and he's going to highlight that change once and for all right here. But notice what he does. He highlights his old name, because this is what Jesus is reminding him of. In your old you, you didn't have this wisdom. That's who you used to be, but when Jesus encourages you, he tells you, that's not who you are anymore. This is who you are, and this is where I'm taking you. Jesus is saying, you're not Simon Bar-Jonah. You are what? Peter, and now you are Peter listening to the God on high. You have communion with God the Father, and, and listen to what he says. He says, flesh and blood. That means the old you was flesh and blood. That's not where you got the answer. You got it from the Spirit of the living God. Watch what he says. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed it. 
And so this is what I want to encourage you with. You are not who you used to be. You are a son and a child of the most high God and God speaks to you if you listen. If you listen, God speaks. And here, God, I can almost sense Jesus is smiling because the guys are sitting there, they're, when you're a speaker and you have a group of people that you speak to all the time and you kind of mix it up with them, their faces start telling you all you need to know. And they're probably like, what? So God goes, fellas, this isn't Simon. This is the new Peter hearing from, hearing from the Father. And, and so th- this is what, what I need you to understand here is that Jesus is saying, my father revealed something to you. And you know why Jesus knows that it was God the Father who revealed it? Because everything Jesus did and said, he received it from the Father. So if anyone knows what the Father sounds like and what his work looks like, it's Jesus. And here he says, this has the Father written all over it. I heard it, you heard it, and now they heard it. And now through the ages, it will be heard. What will be heard? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that he came to die for me and for you, and that his blood is powerful enough to forgive us of all of our sins, and any man who puts his confession of faith in him shall be saved. Shall be saved. Now, now this is interesting because verse 18 is where I really want to focus some time on, and he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. Okay, This is what's happening. I can see Jesus with a big smile. And he says, man, the Father just gave you something. But me and the Father are one. And now I want to give you something. And this next statement is the blessing. Watch this. He said, blessed are you. And then he blesses him with this. You are Peter. You are no longer Simon. You are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock... But it's interesting because Matthew, I need you to understand something. Matthew used to be a tax collector. And he's really good at shorthand and very meticulous about record keeping. And here, he highlights for us something very, very unique. He doesn't say, you are a rock and upon that rock I will build my church. Or upon this rock I will build my church. He says, you are a stone and upon the rock I will build my church. So through the ages, it's been argued, is, and, and this is the question I would, I would raise to you, is Jesus referring to himself as the rock? Because throughout the Old Testament, God is the rock of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the rock. Build upon my words, upon my teaching. We'll read it in a second. So is Jesus referring to himself as a rock or is he referring to Peter? Or better yet, could the rock be Peter's confession of faith? Through the ages, this has been argued. And there's, there's a huge group of people that believe Peter is the rock. And they would argue against anyone else that Peter is not the first pope or the first you know, bishop of the church because God said he would build it upon Peter. Now, you would say, oh, that's the Catholic church. And the Protestant church believes, no, 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 it's Jesus that's the rock, or it's Peter's confession that's the rock. Can I tell you, it could be all three, and even one more. Uh, uh, Let me put it to you this way. Of course he's talking about Peter, because he highlights Simon, old you, now let me talk to the new you. And he literally says, to you I'm blessing right now, because you received this from my father. And now, me and the Father are one, so I'm going to give you the fullness of the blessing. Okay, so yes, he's talking to Peter. But he's also talking because of the wordplay. Jesus is brilliant here. He's smiling from ear to ear. I can just see it. And he's using these words to just have the disciples go, what's going on here? Watch. He says, you're Peter, but on, he doesn't use the same word for Peter and the rock that will be built on. The rock that will be built on is different. It literally means, listen to me, a cliff by which you carve a tomb out of. Oh, that's deep. Because Jesus is saying, my tomb will be empty. And that's because I'm the Messiah that you just confessed. 
And so upon that idea, so it's not just Peter, it's the confession of faith that he will build. Not only the confession of faith, but the confession of faith is about the rock, the rock of ages, the ones the builders rejected, which is Jesus. So he's talking about Peter. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the empty tomb, and he's talking about the confession that Jesus is Messiah. And when that is what we have in our hearts, and that is what we live by, then we are the true church, the unstoppable force that will reign through the ages. That's what he's talking about. And so I want us to get this because this is under attack even right now. How many times have you heard there's more than one way to heaven? How many times have you said Jesus was a good man, but he's not the only savior? He can't possibly be the only way. A very well-known figure who, is, who has a tremendous amount of influence, her name is Oprah Winfrey. Maybe you've heard of her. I don't know if you have. She said, I don't believe, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ. I don't believe Jesus had to die. I don't believe that we are sinners. We are inherently good. And to reach what some call heaven, that's at higher level, is we need to understand the Christ spirit that's within each and every one of us. That's called New Ageism. And they're saying, you don't need to ask for forgiveness. You don't have anything to ask for forgiveness of. You have everything you need. I remember the the serpent said to Eve, you can be like God. You don't need God. And so we have to be careful because it's the confession of faith that's important. I want you to look at this confession of faith and realize Realize that what what God is saying here is you are Peter and upon this rock, upon me, upon you. Because even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes it very, very clear that the church is built on the foundation of what? Jesus Christ, his prophets and apostles. I will use these these individuals that I call to me to help me share, the uh, mix the, the mortar and the foundation of the church with their blood. Because watch the rest of the sentence here. He says, you are Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of what? Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is he saying there? Okay, this is interesting because he gives him a blessing. He says, I'm going to build a church. And then he says what? The gates of hell. Why does he use the word gates? Is there more than one gate? Yeah, evidently there's more than one gate. The gates of Hades or the gates of hell literally mean the gates of death and destruction. It's the kingdom of the enemy and the way he uses to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what it means. It means the, the, the way that the enemy uses to steal, kill, and destroy, that will not prevail against the real church. It will, come on now. It will not prevail against the real church. Amen to the Lamb of God. Why will it not prevail against the real church? Because the real church has the power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, living in her and operating through her. And so you say, but but what does the gates mean? I mean, what what do the keys mean? Keys mean authority and access. If I have a key... To a certain place, that means someone in authority gave me that key, or I have authority to have the key. Not only do I have authority, but I have access, and I can open, I can close. This is exactly what he's saying in the next verse, he, or, or, as he explains that verse. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is the purpose of the church but to establish God's will here on the earth? To bring a little bit of heaven down so that heaven would rule in the midst of the chaos from hell. That's the purpose of God's church. Why did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we're doing is saying, we have access to unlock your blessings, Lord. We have access to lock up certain things that the enemy is trying to advance. We lock it up and say no further. We have access and authority because that's the first key to the blessing of Peter. God, 
through Jesus Christ is giving Peter here and those that follow after him, including the rest of the boys, authority. You say, but this is just for Peter. Turn with me to 1818. In 1818, he restates the same thing. And I believe this is Jesus' way of saying, I wasn't just talking to Peter. Peter spoke up. He received the, the confession from the Father. He said it. So I blessed him first, but now I bless all of you. And I want this to be known that this is a blessing through the ages. Listen to what he says here. He says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you Loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Next week, I'm going to talk more in detail about this. But for right now, I want you to know is you have authority. You have authority given to you. You say, what's authority? Authority, guys, if you look at the definition that, that, that I found here on the web is power or right. You have right. You have legitimacy. Not only do you have legitimacy, but you have official permission. You have official permission. What does it mean to have authority? It means you are not in rebellion. You are working for something greater than you. Okay, why is this important? Because listen to what Jesus said. Everything I do, I do in perfect submission to the Father who has all power, all knowledge, everything that I need. He gives me authority and now I convey it to you. And so as long as we stay in that line of authority, it conveys. And what Jesus is saying, this should bring you a tremendous amount of confidence. Now the enemy's going to try to do everything he can to steal that confidence. How's he going to do it? He's going to try to get you to question your authority, your legitimacy, your right. What right am I talking about? What's well, very clear in the book of John Chapter 1, verse 11, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be what? To be children of God. To be a co-heir with Christ. And Christ is saying, if you are a co-heir with me, then you reign with me. And guess what? You represent our Father as a prince here on this earth. But the enemy's trying to get you to understand it or, or, to, or to feel like, what do you mean? I can't be a prince. I've done too much wrong. I haven't behaved myself. I've, I'm illegitimate. I, I've, maybe you, pastor, maybe somebody else, but if, but if you know all the things I've done, can I tell you something, sir? Can I tell you something, ma'am? That if God in his strength and awesome infinite love if he forgave all of the sin through all of the ages of every single person hidden and shown, if he did it for all of them, then he can do it for you. And the enemy's not just getting you to question that and attacking your legitimacy, he's using pride to do it. Because he's saying, oh, you don't understand how big and bad you were. You were bigger and badder than anybody else. And God is saying, you're not that bad. I'm just that good. You are forgiven. Now, the enemy will do everything he can to riddle you with shame and guilt because shame and guilt has you question your authority. That's who you are in Christ because your authority is rooted in who you are in Christ. Who are you? You are a son of the living God. You are blessed by Jesus Christ. You are part of his church in which he says the gates of hell cannot prevail. Cannot prevail. So, okay, watch. I don't believe this definition is exactly right because, but then again, it is right. It is right because it says, look, the power or the right, but authority does not necessarily mean power and power doesn't necessarily mean authority. You have some, some evil people that have no authority, but they have power. You have some straw men that have authority, but, but no power. No, 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 no. Really? If you don't have authority, I mean, if you don't have power, you don't have authority. So power and authority come hand in, go hand in hand. And I'll show you how. A police officer, why do you respect him? Because of the badge. Somebody else I heard say because of the gun. <laughs> they go hand in hand. If all he had was a badge, he'd be a mall cop. <laughs> and nobody ex respects Paul Blart the way they ex 
the way they respect the police officer, right? So if you have the badge but no gun, then, they, they, then you, you're missing half of, half of the equation. But if you have the gun and no badge, then you're nothing more than a vigilante or a criminal. And no one respects those either. So you need the authority and you need the power. And this is why when you see the Great Commission, you see it in this way. You are a son of God when you confess Jesus Christ is Lord and he is your savior and there's one way to heaven. You died for me and you died for the sins of the world and your blood washed us clean. Therefore, I stand under that authority and you access what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, I commission you to go and make disciples under my authority, and I'm going to be with you. Now, this is Matthew's way of stating Jesus' great commission before he ascended to heaven. Watch the way Luke states it, and this is under point number two, power. See, authority without power is not authority, and power without authority is not the same either. But you need both, and that's why the Great Commission is stated both ways. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I need you to understand something. God calls you a son of God. You have the authority to ask for what you need here on this earth to accomplish his good work. But sometimes we don't feel legit in asking because we know in our hearts we're not about his business. See, to have that power and authority, we need to be about the Father's business. Can we just settle something once and for all? That's why Jesus said you have to die to yourself. That's why Jesus said learn to live like I did. Give up your own will and do the will of the Father and then you'll have everything you need. He knows what you need better than you know what you need. This is this unstoppable force that we're talking about. This amazing power that will flow through us where the Bible talks about him giving us special gifts. Gifts that we move in a supernatural way that, that no one can stop, including the enemy. Your, your, your gifts will make room for you and your gifts will begin to bless one another. But instead, the enemy wants you to what? Leave the legitimacy of God and start operating in your own strength and say, but I want my gifts to build me up. I want, and you start competing and we start comparing and we start envying and doing all of these things and the power stops. Because God says, you're not ready to receive my power. The power stops and so you say, okay, Pastor, what else do I get? I told you to get one more, and that's strength. Now, I need you to understand, authority gives you the legitimacy. Power gives you the what? The ability to overcome. Strength gives you the ability to endure. So sometimes you got to break through, and sometimes you have to press through. There's a difference between breaking through and pressing through. What's the difference? I'll put it to you this way. Power comes when you can say to the storm, be still, and the storm is still. And sometimes you say, be still, and God says, no, I want that storm to rage. I want you to be still. You say, what? Yeah, haven't you ever told the storm, be still, and the storm continues, and you say to the Lord, Lord! And he says, no, the storm is doing my will. I need you to exercise your strength. And your strength is you gird yourself up in the midst of it and you walk through because others are watching and because I will receive glory through the way you walk through it. And not only that, but I'm doing something in your faith because you've seen me calm the storm in power, but now I want you to see me calm you in strength. See, sometimes you need power to break through. Sometimes you need strength to sustain you. And God, depending on what he knows you need, will give you what you need when you need it to do exactly his will. 
You say, Pastor, well, then I'm ready. I'm ready. What, what is the strength of the Lord? Listen to the strength of the Lord is joy. In Nehemiah, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. You say, but pastor, how can I have joy in the midst of the storm? The same way Paul and Silas did when they were in prison for doing God's will. And God didn't loose their chains until they experienced strength in joy, singing and praising God and saying, Lord. See, it's the same thing when three young men, I say three and I put up four, the the three And the reason I do four, because there was another in the fire. There was another in the fire, but they didn't know that. As a matter of fact, they told King Nebuchadnezzar, you've put up this great big uh, statue and you've ordered everyone to bow down, but we will not bow, we will not bend, we will not waver, we will not capitulate, we will not do anything but honor our God. There is one God, his name is Jehovah. And he rules and reigns. And this is the key right here. They said, even if our prayers don't deliver us in power, we will walk through it in strength. We still won't bow. It was in the furnace that the fourth showed up and the fourth was like a son of God and was God. It was Jesus in the furnace. It was Jesus holding back the waters before Moses. It was Jesus in your darkest time walking beside you in strength, strengthening you, carrying you. And he's trying to get you to understand that. Because this is what I want us to get, guys. We have this amazing, unstoppable force, and that's us. Working together, doing what God has called us to do. Shining bright as, as ever. But we have to confess where the strength and the power and the authority comes from, and that's Jesus. Can I tell you, nobody wants to talk about the blood anymore in church. Yet, we think it's too spooky, and the world is talking about blood all the time. A couple years ago, they were fixated on blood and vampires. They're still fixated on blood and vampires. Do you know they're fixated from a scientific standpoint in doing all this manipulation with the genome, with the DNA, there's a company that I, I follow that, that takes, takes DNA sequences. They cut out, they're, they're, they're working on cutting out certain sequences that are, that are mutated for, and, and disease-stricken so that they can replace them with good, and then it will regenerate itself throughout. The world is fascinated with blood, yet we have the blood of Jesus that is our power, our strength, and authority, and we won't sing about it, we won't talk about it, we won't say anything because we're afraid we look spooky. I'll tell you what, the world looks spooky and doesn't care. They're out of the closet. Time we come out, everybody else is. And say, you know what? Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We rule and reign through his power, his strength, and by his blood, we have been made whole. He has washed our sins away, and we need to start teaching this to our children. Because this is what's happening in our world today. Christians talk about the power, but we don't experience the power. We talk about authority, but we don't see the authority. We talk about strength, but we don't see the strength. So that's why our children walk away. Our children walk away in droves. When they get older, our children walk away. Why? Because mama's told me and daddy's told me, but I've never seen it. So it's cool that they have their tradition, but I don't need an empty tradition. I need something real. I need something real. And I've heard about power, but I've never felt it. I've never seen it. You say, okay, so what do I do? Well, well, let me just get something straight here right now. I'm not going to preach to you what you want to hear. I got to preach what, I, what you need to hear. Amen. And so I love you and I care for you. I'm not discouraging you. But I think we need to be, we, we have to be able to say, okay, Lord, we got this wrong. I missed it. Forgive me. Now I'm ready to walk in your power. Instead of trying to deny the truth and continuing to walk a crooked path And saying that it's straight. What I mean by this is this. If your children are not passionately excited about God, his church, his authority, his power, that's your fault. 
okay, I get it. You hit me right between the eyes. You didn't even step on my toes. You just came up and like, boom. What do I do about it? You say, Lord, I'm sorry. Now I'm ready to walk in your power and I'm ready to pray for them passionately. I'm ready to believe for more. I'm ready to exercise the authority you called. And Lord, I know that there's something supernatural. So in the supernatural, I call it done here on earth. Lord, you do it in heaven and I know that it will be done on earth. And so in faith, come on now, in faith, I pray for my family. In faith, I tear down every, listen, weapon of the enemy of unbelief that he has put against my children, that he has put against my family, that he has put against my in-laws, my, my outlaws, my whatever. <laughs> whatever it is, I'm going to do spiritual warfare, not in my strength, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By his blood, I believe, Lord, that you desire my children, my family, my aunt, my uncle, my grandmother, whoever, my co-workers to be saved. And so, Lord, I'm not praying about just any old thing. I'm praying about what touches your heart. It now touches my heart, and I, I shall see it done. Why? Because I stand in the authority of Jesus Christ. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I will have the strength to see it done, even if it takes me 55 years like it did George Mueller, but it was done. It was done. I, said, I can see I lost half of you because only half are like, yeah, I don't know if I'm willing to wait 55 years. No, what I'm trying to get us to understand is that you have an amazing weapon, but when was the last time you started wielding it like you meant it? When was the last time you stood on the authority of God's word and said, if your word says it, Lord, then it shall be done. Because you know what else your word says? Your word says that your word never declares what your hand doesn't perform. That would make you inconsistent. That would make you a liar. That would make you impotent if you said things you could not do. You say it, you do it. Because there's perfect consistency in you. And so if you have called me blessed, then Lord, I am blessed. You say, okay, pastor, I want the worship team to come up. What else, should, what, what, what else are you talking about? You, I mean, you're kind of talking. No, I'm talking about family issues. Because to me, my finances don't matter if, you, if you're hurt and my, my family's being hurt by the enemy. I always talk about family first. Why? Because that's the most important thing to me. But, but maybe your family's good. What else can you pray about? Okay, watch this. You can pray about, I told the first service, what if, what if the enemy's messing with you and he's, he's got you in debt because you can't con control of your spending. You feel like you got to go on Amazon and just buy. <laughs> and you bought into the hype. Amazon's new place is called Fulfillment. You, you, you think that's bringing you fulfillment, and yet God is saying, no, why don't you say, Lord, God, the God of materialism, there, its hold on me is broken in the name of Jesus. I confess Jesus Christ and his blood washes me clean, breaks every chain, and you are my God. You are my supreme God. Your word says in Matthew that I cannot love two masters. Today I say you are my master. Break the chains of materialism because I know that materialism, once it gets its hold on my heart, it will begin to unravel my marriage. The number one cause of divorce in America is not infidelity, but it's financial strain. And it's caused by the God of materialism. And yet the gates of hell shall not prevail against the real church if they take up their authority, their power and strength and press through. What else? I don't have any problems. I, matter of fact, I don't like the way you preach. You're just kind of getting up all my business. How about your problem might be pride? In the name of Jesus, I humble myself, Lord, that you may lift me up. Because you humble everyone that lifts themselves up before you, and you lift up everyone that humbles themselves before you. Lord. So what I'm asking is search your heart. And start saying, Lord, I want to walk in power. I want to walk as a, 
as a child of yours and feel the authority. What does that mean? The legitimacy and the right to live this life to the fullest. It's yours. It's yours. I'm going to ask you to stand in just a minute. And I want you to pray for anything God puts on your heart. But I want you to pray believing under the authority of God and the power of God that it's done. See, in that same Matthew 18, where he says, whatever you what? Bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'm going to teach in more detail next week on that. But this is what else he says. He says, when two touch and agree. What does it mean to touch and agree? It means they have the same confession of faith. That Jesus Christ is Lord and that his blood has washed us of our sin. When they have that touch in their spirit. My wife's going like this. She thinks I'm going to touch her in her nose with my fist. So I'm going, so I'm going back. Okay, when they touch in that, in their faith, the Bible says it shall be done. Read it. It's right there in Matthew 18. It says, when two come together in my name, there I shall be also, two or three. And whatever they, what, agree upon, it shall be done. Because whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, wherever you loose. We'll talk more about it. But all you need to know is there's power in prayer. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come up and I'm going to ask you to have the courage to come up and pray with them. Right here, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer as they come up. Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to receive you as Lord and Savior, right now that they would confess, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and I want you to be my Savior. Lord, I give you my whole life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. I now belong to you. Holy Spirit, lead me. In Jesus' name, I'll never be the same. Amen. Would you stand? Let's all sing together and pray. Come up and pray if you want to pray.